Hello, this is Christopher from Defeat Modernism, and welcome to part two of St. John Jude on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. For those of you who are catching this for the first time, I'll put a link to part one, which is chapters one through six, in the description box of the video. I'll also put a link to the PDF file, so if it's easier for you to follow along that way, or if you'd rather just read it on your own, feel free to do so. We will be starting from page 40 of the PDF file, and it'll be beginning with chapter 7. And let's just ask Our Lady to shower her graces of wisdom and love upon us that so we may understand these writings on her Son's sacred heart. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Chapter 7. The sacred heart of Jesus is a furnace of love for us in the Blessed Sacrament. St. Bernard appropriately refers to the Blessed Sacrament of the Eucharist as, quote, the love of loves, amor amorum. If we use the eyes of faith to contemplate the marvelous effects of our Savior's ineffable goodness to us in this adorable mystery, we shall see eight flames of love issuing continually from this wondrous furnace. The first atom is the inconceivable love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which impelled him to imprison himself in this sacrament and has constrained him to abide there continuously night and day for nearly 2,000 years, to be always with us, so as to fulfill the promise of these words. Behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. He is the good shepherd who wishes always to be with his flock. He is the divine physician who wishes always to be at the bedside of his patients. He is the father full of affection who never leaves his children. He is the friend most loyal and tender, whose delight is to be with his friends. The second flame of this fiery furnace is the love of our Savior's adorable heart, vibrating in the great and significant actions on our behalf in this sacrament. He is there adoring, praising, and glorifying his Father unceasingly for us to satisfy to the full our infinite obligations of adoring, praising, and glorifying. He is there continually giving thanks to the Father for all the corporal and spiritual blessings, natural and supernatural, temporal and eternal, which he has ever given to us, which he gives at each moment and plans to give us, provided we interpose no obstacle. He is there loving his Father for us, paying to the full our debts and obligations of loving him. He is there offering his merits to satisfy his Father's justice and pay him on our behalf what we owe him by reason of our sins. He is there continually praying to his Father for all our spiritual and temporal needs. The third flame of this furnace is the infinite love of our dear Redeemer, who exercises his omnipotence so as to perform in this adorable sacrament many stupendous miracles, changing bread into his body and wine into his blood, and performing several other wonders incomparably surpassing all those of Moses, of the prophets, and of the apostles, and even of our Savior during his sojourn on earth. All those miracles were performed only in Judea, while these take place throughout the universe. The visible miracles were transitory and of short duration. 
The invisible have been continuous for more than 1,900 years, and they will endure till the end of time. The former were affected on bodies separated from their souls and then restored to life, on sick persons who were healed, on water changed to wine. But the latter are affected on the adorable body of God, on his precious blood, and even on the glory and grandeur of his divinity, which is hidden in the sacrament. The fourth flame is indicated in the inspired words of St. Peter, the Prince of the Apostles. God hath sent his Son to bless you. This adorable Son has come filled with love for you and with the most ardent desire to pour out his blessings upon those who honor him and love him as their Father. It is chiefly in this divine sacrament that he showers his blessings upon those who open the way to his grace. The fifth flame is his immense love which constrains him to give to us all the treasures of grace and holiness which he acquired on earth. To us he does give them, indeed, in the Blessed Eucharist, boons immeasurable and infinite, graces most abundant and special, provided we have the dispositions required for receiving them. The sixth flame is that burning love always impelling him to enrich us with the gifts and graces which he acquired by his precious blood, and to give himself to us without reserve and holy communion. He gives us his divinity, his humanity, his divine person, his adorable body, his precious blood, his holy soul, in short, all that he has and all that he is as God and as man. Consequently, he will give us his eternal Father and his Holy Spirit, which are inseparable from him, just as he will inspire us with devotion to his most holy mother, who everywhere follows her divine Lamb, much more than do the holy virgins of whom it is said, Sequentur agnum cucumque edit, which in English, These are they who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb whithsoever he goeth. These were purchased from among men, the firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. From the book of the Apocalypse, chapter 14, verse 4. The seventh flame is the incredible love of the blessed Savior in immolating himself continually for us, a love that surpasses in every way the charity by which he was immolated on the altar of the cross. There he sacrificed himself on Calvary only. Here he sacrifices himself all over the world by means of the blessed Eucharist. There he immolated himself once only. Here he sacrifices himself thousands of times daily. It is true that the sacrifice of the cross was accomplished in a sea of sorrows, and that it is accomplished here in an ocean of joy and felicity. But the heart of our Redeemer is still in our day, as flaming with love for us as it was then. Jesus is ready, if it were possible and necessary for our salvation, to undergo the same sufferings that he bore in his immolation on Calvary, as many times as he sacrifices himself on the altars throughout the world because of his infinite love for us. The eighth flame of this wonderful furnace of love consists of the love that our most benign Redeemer manifests to us when he gives men continual evidence of his goodness at a time when he receives from them nothing but the most furious hatred imaginable. 
At what moment does he thus manifest such love? At the time of the institution of this divine sacrament, the last day of his life, the, f- the night before his death, at, the, at that very moment, men are not less moved with rage and fury against him than the devils themselves. For what does he say? When I was daily with you in the temple, you did not stretch forth your hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. From the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 22, verse 53. O my Savior, on that first Holy Thursday evening, Thy thoughts were only of peace, charity, and goodwill for men, whereas the Jews thought only of malice and cruelty. Thou didst seek only to save them. They sought only to do away with thee. Thy whole heart and thy whole mind were bent on breaking the chains that held them bound as the slaves of demons. And they would sell thee, betray thee, and deliver thee into the hands of thy cruel enemies. Thou was preoccupied with establishing an adorable sacrament, whereby always to abide with them. But they were striving to drive thee from the world, to banish thee from off the earth, and even to destroy thee, if they could but do so. Thou didst prepare for them on earth boundless graces, and in heaven thrones magnificent and glorious crowns, if they were willing to render themselves worthy of them. But they were preparing for thee ropes, lashes, thorns, nails, lances, crosses, spittle, revilings, blasphemies, and all sorts of shameful, outrageous cruelties. Thou didst set before them a most delectable feast of thy own flesh and blood, and they gave thee gall and vinegar to drink. Thou didst give them thy holy and immaculate body, and they bruised it by blows, they cut it with their lashes, they pierced it in a thousand places with thorns and nails. They covered it with wounds from head to foot. They dismembered it on the cross, causing it to suffer the most atrocious tortures. Finally, my Savior, thou didst love them more than thy own life and blood, since thou didst sacrifice them for thy enemies. In return, they rent thy soul from thy body by violence. What goodness, what charity, what love flowing from thy adorable heart, O my Savior, What ingratitude, what wickedness, what cruelty stemming from the heart of man. What happened then still happens today. Thy most loving heart, O Jesus, dwells in this sacrament, burning with love for us. It is there continually performing thousands of good deeds towards us. How do we repay thee, O Lord? We repay thee with ingratitude and injuries a thousandfold, in thought, word, and deed trampling underfoot thy divine commandments and those of the church. Ungrateful wretches, our most gracious Savior so loved us that, while he was on earth, he would have died a thousand deaths for love of us if he had not miraculously preserved his life. He is still ready to die a hundred thousand times for us if it were possible and necessary for our salvation. Let us then die, Die of sorrow in beholding our sins. Let us die of shame that we have so little love for him. Let us die a thousand deaths rather than ever offend him again. O my Savior, grant us this favor, we implore thee. O Mother of Jesus, obtain for us this grace from thy well-beloved Son. 
Chapter 8. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is a furnace burning with love for us in his sacred passion. The entire earthly life of our adorable Savior was a continual exercise of charity and goodness towards us. But it was at the time of his passion that he gave us the most remarkable proofs of his love. Then it was that out of the abundance of his charity, he suffered frightful torments to deliver us from the terrible punishments of hell and to win for us the everlasting joys of heaven. It was then that his adorable body was covered with wounds and bathed in his blood. His sacred head was pierced with sharp thorns. His hands and feet were transfixed with huge nails. His ears filled with blasphemies and curses. His lips moistened with gall and vinegar. His soul forcibly and painfully wrenched from his body by the cruel Jews. At that time particularly, his divine heart was rent by countless painful, bleeding wounds. Indeed, one can count the wounds in the adorable heart of Jesus. There are two kinds of wounds, resulting from two different causes. The first cause of those most painful wounds in the sacred heart of our Redeemer is our sins. We read in the life of St. Catherine of Genoa that one day God let her see the horror of one tiny venial sin. She assures us that although this vision lasted but a moment, she saw, nevertheless, an object so frightening that the blood froze in her veins and she swooned away in an agony that would have killed her if God had not preserved her to relate to others what she had seen. Wherefore, she declared, that if she were in the very depths of a sea of flaming fire, and it were in her power to be set free, on condition that she should once more behold such a spectacle, she would choose to remain rather than to escape. If the sight of the smallest venial sin brought this saint to such a pass, what must we think of the, sta- of the state to which our Savior was reduced by seeing all the sins of the universe? He had them continually before his eyes, and his vision being infinitely more powerful than that of St. Catherine, he could behold infinitely more horror. He saw the immeasurable insult and dishonor caused his father by all sins. He saw the damnation of a countless number of souls resulting from those sins. As he had infinite love for his father and his creatures, the sight of all those sins rent his heart with countless wounds, such that if he were able to count all the sins of men, which are more numerous than the drops of water in the sea, we would then be able to count the wounds of the loving heart of Jesus. The second cause of his wounds is the infinite love of a sacred heart for all his children and his constant vision of all the afflictions and sufferings that are to happen to them, especially all the torments that his holy martyrs are to suffer. When a mother watches her beloved child suffering, she feels the pain more keenly than the child. Our Savior's love for us is so tremendous that if all the love of all parents were centered in a single heart, It would not represent even a spark of the love for us that burns in his heart. Our pains and sorrows, ever present to his vision and seen most clearly and distinctly, were so many wounds bleeding in his paternal heart. Surely he hath borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows.
and we have thought him as it were a leper, and as one struck by God and afflicted. From the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 4. These wounds were so painful and deep that they would have caused his death a thousand times over, even immediately after his birth, if he had not miraculously preserved himself, because during his whole earthly life, his sacred heart was continually pierced by many mortal wounds of love. Therefore, we have the greatest obligations to honor the gracious heart that sustains so many wounds for love of us. We have potent reasons to fear new sins, thus giving him occasion to lament over us. They have added to the grief of my wounds. We ought to fear, lest we be of the number of those of whom St. Paul says that they crucify him afresh and are fallen away, to be renewed again to penance, crucifying again to themselves the Son of God and making him a mockery. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 6. With what affection should we embrace and endure all our afflictions out of love for Jesus, our Savior, since he first bore them for love of us? Should they not be most sweet to us since they have already passed through his most gentle and loving heart? What a horror we should have of our sins that have caused so many wounds and such intense grief to the divine heart of our Redeemer. We read in the life of St. Francis Borgia of the Society of Jesus that one day the saint was speaking in front of a crucifix to a great sinner whom he was exhorting to be converted, but could not soften the hard, sinful heart. Suddenly the crucifix, or rather the crucified Savior, out of his wondrous and abundant goodness, spoke to the sinner and urged him to follow the advice of his servant. At the same time there issued blood from all his wounds. This was a sign that our blessed Savior was ready once again to shed his blood and to die for his salvation if need be. But in spite of such miraculous goodness, as the wretched man still remained adamant, there issued a stream of blood from the wound at his side, which gushed over him and struck him dead on the spot. O God, what a fearful sight! Let us learn from the foregoing example that it is not our Redeemer's fault if we are lost. There are hearts so hard that even if Jesus himself were to come down from heaven to preach to them, and they were to see him covered with wounds and bathed in his blood, they would still not be converted. O my God, let us not be one of them, but give us the grace to open our ears to the voice of all the sacred wounds of thy body and thy heart, which are so many mouths through which thou dost call to us unceasingly. Return, ye transgressors, to the heart, which means to my heart that is all yours, since I have given it entirely to you. Return to that most loving heart of your Father, which is full of love and mercy for you, which will receive you and welcome you home, heaping upon you all blessings. But return without delay, completely, with all your affections. Leave sin, renounce hell, flee from all occasions of wickedness, and embrace the practice of all virtues. Blessed are they who yield to that voice. Cursed they who close their ears and harden their hearts, like that unfortunate man just mentioned. A hard heart shall fear evil at the last. Evil shall be the lot of the hard heart. It shall perish everlastingly. 
It shall abide in wrath forever, and shall suffer inconceivable and incomprehensible tortures eternally. O my Savior, I give thee my heart. Preserve it from this evil. O Mother of mercy, I give thee also my loving heart. Do thou give it to thy Son, begging him to rank it with with the holy hearts that shall love the Son and the Mother forever. Chapter 9. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is one with the heart of the Father and the Holy Ghost. The adorable heart of the Blessed Trinity is a furnace of burning love for us. Christian faith teaches that there are three persons in the adorable mystery of the Holy Trinity. Three persons who have but one and the same divinity, one and the same power, wisdom, goodness, one and the same mind, will, and even one and the same heart. Thence it is that our Savior, as God, has but one and the same heart with the Father and the Holy Ghost. And as man, his humanly divine and divinely human heart is but one also, is but one also with the heart of the Father and the Holy Ghost, by a unity of mind, love, and will. Therefore, to adore the Sacred Heart of Jesus is to adore the heart of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. To adore a heart that is a burning furnace of love towards us. Into that furnace we must plunge so as to burn there forever. Unhappy they who have should be cast into the terrible furnace of eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. But blessed are they who shall be thrown in, into the eternal fire of divine love, which enkindles the adorable heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost for our sake that we may stir ourselves to plunge in wholeheartedly. Let us picture what that fire and that love are. If you desire to learn the exact nature of the love of the paternal heart of the Divine Father of Jesus, listen to St. Paul. He that spared not even his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The Father sent his only begotten Son into this world, to testify to us his love in a wondrous way. Before sending the Redeemer, he knew full well how we would treat him. He knew that as Jesus must be born on earth to raise men up to heaven, his divine mother would seek shelter for his birth and would find no place to lay his infant head. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him up in swathing clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. He knew that as soon as he was born, men would seek to slay him, and that he would be compelled to flee and hide away in a foreign country. He knew that when he began to teach and preach the word of his father, they would regard him as a madman. They would repeatedly take up rocks to stone him, and would lead him into a high mountain to attempt to dash him to destruction. He foresaw that they would bind and shackle him like a thief, drag him through the streets of Jerusalem like a criminal, subject him to endless insults and torments, and condemn him to die the cruelest and most infamous death. After he had risen, they would endeavor to stifle any growing belief in his resurrection. After he had established the church and sacraments to apply to souls the fruits of his passion and death, even the majority of Christians would misuse these sacraments, profane them, and make them serve to their greater condemnation. Finally, he knew that in spite of his labor, sufferings, and death, 
too many souls would contempt his precious blood, making void and useless all that he accomplished for their salvation, because they would perish miserably. Thou seest all these things, O adorable Father, and yet thou dost not hesitate to send us thy well-beloved Son. Who hath constrained thee to do this? It is utterly incomprehensible love of thy fatherly heart for us. O Father of mercies, it seems almost as if thou dost love us more than thyself and thy Son, thy Son being but one with thee. Seemingly, for love of us, thou hatest thy Son, hence thyself, thou being but one with him. O exceeding inconceivable goodness, O wondrous love, There is some thing of that infinite love, of that loving heart, of the Eternal Father, for us. Would you now behold the incomprehensible love of the divine heart of the Son of God? Hear him speak. As the Father had loved me, I also have loved you. My Father so loves you, that for love of you he hath surrendered me to death, the death of the cross. And I so love you, that for love of you, I abandoned myself to the powers of darkness and to the wrath of my mortal enemies, the Jews. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. O my Savior, well may I say to thee, with thy faithful servant, St. Bonaventure, that thou so lovest me that seemingly thou dost hate thyself for me. Let us come now to the love of the Holy Ghost, who is the heart of the Father and the Son. When this divine spirit formed the God-man in the sacred womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary to give him to us, did he know what we were to do? Did he know all the outrages and cruel deeds that men were to perpetuate against him? Did he know that men would bend all their energies to destroy his powerful masterpiece, the God-man? Yes, he knew it well. Yet he did not hesitate to form him in Mary's womb, to let him be born for us, to appear in the form of a dove above his head during his baptism in the waters of the Jordan, to make us recognize him. He did not hesitate to lead his son into the desert to do penance for our sins, to urge him to preach the holy gospel and to proclaim to us the truths of heaven. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, wherefore he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the contrite of heart. O love that hath no equal, O spirit of love and charity, bear with me when I say that seemingly thou hast more love for man as sinner and culprit than for the God-man who is the holy of holies, for a slave of Satan than for the only begotten Son of God, for a firebrand of hell than for the King of heaven. O wonder without parallel, who has thus bound thee in a spell? Pardon me, O adorable spirit, if I speak thus. But is it not true that the exceeding great love thou hast for us seems to have cast a spell over thee as well as over the divine Father and his only Son? How true is the saying, Amare et sapare vix Deo conceditor. Even God finds it hard to love and be wise. Even so do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost love us. Seek Deus delexit mundum, for God so loved the world. Even thus, their divine heart is a burning furnace of love for us. What then shall we do to acknowledge such goodness? 
What dost thou ask of us, O God? Do we not hear his voice calling to us, calling, calling for so long? Filii prebe cor tuum mihi. My son, give me thy heart. An eminent prelate, John Zermaraga, first Archbishop of Mexico, in the Indies of America, New Spain, wrote to the chapter of his order, assembled at Toulouse in 1532. According to the report of Drexelius of the Society of Jesus, the Archbishop narrated that before the inhabitants of the city of Mexico were converted, they worshipped the devil through idols. He exercised such a cruel tyranny that he obliged them to slaughter each year 20,000 little children, boys as well as girls, and to cut out the heart of each child to be sacrificed to Satan on a fire of red-hot coals as incense. If in Mexico City alone the hearts of more than 20,000 young children were immolated to Satan, you can imagine how many were sacrificed to him every year throughout the whole kingdom of Mexico. We worship a God who does not ask of us things so strange. True, he asks for our heart, but he has no desire that it be cut from our body. He is satisfied if we give him our affections, especially love and hate, our, our love to love him above all things, with all our strength, our hate to hate only sin. What is sweeter than to love infinite goodness, from which we have received every kind of blessing? What is easier than to hate the most horrible thing in the world, and the sole cause of all our evils? Surely, if we refuse to give our heart to the divine Savior, who asks us consistently for it, in a way so gentle and engaging, a heart moreover which belongs to him for countless reasons. All those pagans who sacrifice to the devil the hearts of their dear children will rise up and condemn us on the day of judgment. We shall be utterly cast into confusion when the lawful king of our hearts points to the poor idol worshippers and says to us, Behold, these people who have torn out their children's hearts of living flesh to offer them to Satan, and you have refused me the love of your hearts. We must not draw this reproach upon ourselves. Let us give our hearts wholly and irrevocably to him who created them, who redeemed them, and has given to us his own sacred heart so many times. One of the fathers of the Society of Jesus, in his history of the Crusades for the deliverance of the Holy Land, reports the following incident. In the year 1098, Geoffrey de la Tour, a nobleman from Limoges, and one of the most valiant of the Christian knights, one day heard the roar of a lion, which sounded like a cry of pain. Immediately, he entered a nearby wood and ran to the spot from which the roaring came. There he saw a horrible sight. A huge serpent had wound its coils round the lion's body and legs, so that it was powerless to defend itself. The serpent was darting its venomous tongue, trying to strike the lion in a vital spot. Geoffrey rushed forward with his sword and killed the snake without wounding the lion. The poor beast, finding itself freed and recognizing his deliverer, came to thank the knight by fawning and licking his feet. From then on, the lion attached itself to the man who had saved its life. 
It followed him everywhere like a faithful dog, never harming anyone, but ready to turn on a man who might attack its master. But what is more wonderful is the sequel. When Geoffrey sailed to return to France after the crusade, the captain of the ship would not allow the lion to come aboard. So the faithful beast, plunging into the sea, kept on swimming in the wake of the ship until its strength failed and it sank, thus showing that it preferred to drown rather than to be parted from its benefactor. It should make us ashamed to have to learn the lesson of true gratitude from a wild animal. Must we Christians be taught by dumb beasts what we owe to God, our sovereign benefactor? O my Savior, Thou hast freed me from the coils of the infernal serpent. Thou hast given Thy life to deliver me from the eternal death of hell, and enable me to enjoy everlasting happiness in heaven. Let me be all Thine. Let me live only for Thee. Let me follow Thee everywhere. May all the faculties of my soul be linked inviolably to Thy divine will. Let me have no thoughts but Thine. Let me have no hate except for sin, no love but for Thee. Let me die many deaths, rather than ever be separated from thee. Chapter 10. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is our Treasure House. The adorable heart of our Savior has been considered as a flaming furnace of love for us. We shall now see, first of all, that this heart is a vast treasure house containing infinite riches. Secondly, that this wealth is ours. Thirdly, the sacred use that we should make of it. The Sacred Heart of Jesus is indeed an incalculable treasure, containing in itself all the marvelous riches of heaven and earth, in nature, grace, and glory, in all the angels and saints, in the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the Godhead, in the Most Holy Trinity, and in all the divine perfections. St. Chrysostom says that the Blessed Virgin is an unfathomable abyss of the boundless perfections of the Godhead. How much more is this true of the adorable heart of Jesus? Moreover, his heart is a most precious treasure house, containing all the merits of his life, all the fruits of his divine mysteries, all the graces merited by his toils and sufferings, all his infinitely perfect virtues, all the gifts of the Holy Ghost wherewith he was endowed. In short, everything great, rich, precious, and admirable in creator and creature, is stored in that incomparable treasure. To whom does this marvelous treasure belong? It belongs to all of us, and to each one in particular, since it depends only on us to take possession of it. By what titles and deeds does this treasure belong to us? By the title and deed of a gift. But who has given it to us? The Father of Jesus has given it to us in giving us his Son. And he gives him to us unceasingly, for his gifts are not transitory. The Son of God has also given it to us, time and time again, in giving himself to us, and he gives it to us ceaselessly in the Blessed Eucharist. The Holy Ghost imparts this treasure to us incessantly. The Blessed Virgin also gives it to us continually, since she has but one heart and one will with her Son. Her will is bound up in every gift of his. It is, therefore, a clear fact that the loving heart of Jesus is wholly ours, our very own heart. Each of us can say with St. Bernard, The heart of Jesus is my heart, 
I speak this fearlessly. For if Jesus is my head, then what belongs to the head belongs to me. Just as the eyes of my corporal head are truly my eyes, so the heart of my spiritual head is truly my heart. What joy is mine! I am certain that my heart is one with Jesus. What would be the use of possessing an object of great value if the owner let himself die of hunger, thirst, and cold? Or suppose he went into bankruptcy while still keeping the treasure? Similarly, what shall this greatest of treasures, the heart of our Lord, be worth to us if we do not draw upon its resources? God has given us his heart to be our riches and our wealth, to draw upon to satisfy our obligations and to pay all our debts. What are those debts? They are endless, for we are in debt to God and men, to the Creator and to all creatures. We owe the Creator five tremendous tributes. Number one, adoration together with honor, glory, and praise. Number two, love. Number three, thanksgiving for all the blessings that we continually receive. Number four, reparation for our sins. Number five, the gift of ourselves, seeing we belong to him. Add to this prayer, an obligation which is based on two principles. First, our infinite poverty and need, since we are nothing and have nothing of ourselves. Secondly, the fact that God is the supreme good and the source of all good, and that his infinite goodness inclines him to pour out of his goodness upon us to an infinite degree. He wills, and justly, and justly so, that we ask him for this in prayer. Now, to pay all these debts, here is what must be done. First, it is necessary to be in the state of grace. Secondly, when you celebrate Holy Mass, if you are a priest, or when you assist at Mass, if a layman, but especially after Holy Communion, remember that you have the Sacred Heart there within your breast, and the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Addressing yourself first to the Father, speak to Him with all possible respect and humility. Holy Father, I owe Thee infinite honor, glory, love, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, and satisfaction. I also owe to Thee myself for countless reasons. Of myself, I have no means wherewith to pay all these debts, being nothing and having nothing. But here is the divine heart of thy well-beloved Son that thou hast given me, which I now offer to thee to make satisfaction for my obligations, to adore thee, to honor, praise, and glorify thee, to love thee, to give thee thanks, to make amends for my sins, to give myself to thee, and to implore thee by this same heart, to grant me all graces of which I stand in need. This is my treasure that thou hast given me out of the excess of thy goodness. Be pleased to receive it, O Father of mercies, and graciously to reward thyself by taking with thine own bands from this sacred treasure the wherewithal fully to satisfy and pay all my debts. After that, make a similar offering to the Son of God, giving him that selfsame treasure his own heart, as well as that of his most holy mother, which is in a way but one with his, and which is more pleasing to him than all the hearts of paradise. Perform the same act with respect to the Holy Ghost. 
Next, remember the infinite obligations that you have to the Mother of God, who gave you a Savior with all the countless blessings that proceed from that marvelous gift, and offer her the loving heart of her beloved Son, in thanksgiving for all the favors that you have received from that Divine Mother. Offer her also that same heart in reparation, over and above, for all your negligences, infidelities, and failures in gratitude towards her. This is but a direction which she herself gave to St. Matilda, who, being anxious about her negligences and Our Lady's service, was counseled by the latter to offer her the most holy heart of her dearest son. The Blessed Virgin assured the saint that this offering would be much more pleasing to her than any other pious devotions and practices. In addition, remember that you are still indebted to your guardian angel, to all the other angels, to your patron saint, and to all the other saints for their prayers and for their manifold helps they have given you. Consider and offer to them all in general, and to each one in particular, your great treasure, as an act of thanksgiving, to satisfy for your shortcomings and to contribute to their accidental glory and joy. Remember that you are also under obligations to your neighbor. You owe charity to all men, even your enemies. Help to the poor according to your ability, respect and obedience to your superiors, and the like. To satisfy all these obligations, offer our Savior his, his divine heart to make up for the shortcomings of which you are guilty. Ask him to repay them for you and to give you all the graces necessary in the future to fulfill perfectly your obligations to your neighbor. In the books of St. Matilda, I find that when the saint was asked to implore our Lord to grant a certain person a humble, pure, and charitable heart, she acceded to his request and received this heavenly answer. Let him seek in my heart everything he desires and needs, and let him ask for them as a little child would confidently ask his father for anything he wants. When he desires purity of heart, let him have recourse to my innocence. When he desires humility, let him draw up from the deep well of my most humble heart. There, too, let him drink in my love together with my holy converse, confidently taking to himself everything that is good and holy in that heart, since I have given it wholly to my children. This boundless and inexhaustible treasure that our most gracious Jesus has given us, in which we may confidently find everything that we need, so long as we possess that divine treasure in its richness. If we should lose it through sin, what a dreadful loss it would be. I am certain that if we fully understood it, we would realize that we would never sufficiently deplore such a great misfortune, even though we were to live until the day of judgment and spend our time in weeping floods of tears and blood. If all the angels and saints were to descend from heaven to console us, they could never wipe away our tears. Alas, what hath he lost who hath lost God? exclaimed St. Augustine. Alas, what hath he lost who hath lost the heart of Christ, his Savior? Who can understand the magnitude of that loss? Who can express it? Who can worthily deplore it? Yet after losing that infinite treasure so many times, you, O foolish man, are little affected by the de deprivation. What sorrow should be yours? What tears of blood you should shed? How horrified you should be at your sins that have caused so dreadful a disaster. What fear of backsliding. How necessary to seek all the means possible to keep yourself from it. 
what would one not lose rather than to lose the loving heart of our Redeemer? That gone, all is gone. Let us prefer to lose everything, our earthly goods, our friends, our health, even our life, rather than to lose the heart of Jesus. O my Savior, grant us that grace. Mother of Jesus, obtain it from thy dear Son. Chapter 11 The Sacred Heart of Jesus loves us as his Father loves him. What we should do in order to love him. We have outlined in the foregoing chapters numerous wonderful effects of the burning love of the Sacred Heart of our Savior for mankind. But there is one effect of love that excels all the rest. It is expressed in the marvelous words rising from his divine heart and spoken by his adorable lips. As the Father had loved me, I also have loved you. Let us pause here a moment. Let us weigh these words well. I love you. How sweet are these words falling from the lips of the sovereign Lord of the universe. How encouraging, how helpful, how consoling. I love you, our divine Savior says to us. If an earthly ruler would you pay a visit to the house of the lowliest of his subjects and say to him, I have come here expressly to assure you that I love you and that I shall let you feel the effects of love. What joy it would be for that poor man. Suppose an angel from heaven or a saint or the queen of saints were to appear in a church thronged with Christians and were to proclaim in a voice that all could hear to one member of the congregation, I love you. My heart belongs to you. What transports of delight would thrill that privileged soul? Would he not die of joy? But here is much more than that. Here is the King of Kings, the Holy of Holies, the only Son of God, the only Son of Mary, who has purposely come down here below from heaven to say to us, Ego delexivos. Ego. I who am the creator of all things, I who rule the whole universe, I who possess all the treasures of heaven and earth, I who do whatsoever I will, and I whose will none can resist. I love you. O my Savior, what a rapturous word is this. Would it not be favor enough if thou didst say to us, I sometimes think of you, I look down upon you once a year, I have certain beneficial plans made for you? But this is not sufficient for thee. Thou dost wish to assure us of thy love and affection for us who are not, for us mere worms, for us miserable sinners who have so often offended thee, for us who have so many times deserved hell. Ego delexivos. But how does this adorable Savior love us? Listen again to his sacred words. Sicut delexit me pater. I love you as my Father hath loved me. I love you with the same heart and the same love as that wherewith I am loved by my Father. Now what is that love wherewith the Divine Father loves his Son? It is as I, love possessing four great qualities, which are found in the love of the heart of Jesus for us. First of all, 
The love of the Father for His Son is infinite, that is, without bounds, limits, or measure. A love incomprehensible and inexplicable. A love as great as the very nature of the Eternal Father. Measure, if you can, the extent and the magnitude of that divine nature. And then you will measure the magnitude of that adorable Father's love for His Son. At the same time, you will measure the greatness and the extent of the love of the Son of God for us, since He loves us with the same love as that wherewith His Father loves Him. Secondly, the Father's love for His Son is an everlasting love, filling all the spaces of eternity. The Eternal Father has never been without that love for His Son. He loves Him continuously, without intermission, and He will love Him eternally. O my Savior, how it fills me with joy to see thee, loved as thou dost deserve. The perfidious Jews, the devils, and the damned hate thee, but thou art no less lovable, and the adorable Father loves thee more in a single moment than all those wretches could hate thee in a thousand eternities, if that were possible. Now, as the Father loves his only begotten Son with an everlasting love, the Son of God also loves us with an everlasting love. This means that all the spaces of eternity before and after are filled with the love that he has for us. Hence, is it not true that if we had existed from all eternity, we should have been bound to love that gracious Savior from all eternity? If we had a thousand years, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, yes, even an eternity to live on earth, should we not be bound to spend them in loving him who loves us with an everlasting love? Actually, we have at most a few decades to exist on this earth, yet we waste them loving the world, the degradation and the trifles of earth. Ah, how guilty we are to have such ingratitude. As our third reflection, we must remember that the love of the Divine Father for His Son is a tremendous love filling heaven and earth and even hell. In heaven, the Father loves this Son with the hearts of all the angels and all the saints. On earth, their mutual love embraces all the hearts that belong to Him on earth. In hell, the Eternal Father loves His cherished Son who, with the other divine persons, is present there, manifesting the same omnipotence as in heaven. Similarly, our Savior loves us with an immense love filling heaven, earth, and hell. Heaven, for he inspires all its citizens to love us as themselves. He makes them sharers in the love he bears us. And he loves us through them. He loves the earth in three ways. Number one, he loves us wherever he has being on earth. Number two, he creates, preserves, sets, and rules all things in the universe for love of us. This thought prompted St. Augustine to utter these beautiful words. Heaven and earth, and all things on earth and in heaven, cease not to bid me love my God. He prohibits all dwellers on earth, under pain of eternal damnation, to do harm either to our goods, our reputation, our person, or anything belonging to us, and he commands them to love us as themselves. The boundless love of our Redeemer fills heaven and earth, and likewise hell, for he kindled the devouring fires of hell, to inflame our hearts with divine love. We are impelled to love him 
when we consider that by our sins we deserve eternal torments if our Savior had not delivered us by his death on the cross. O my God, thou dost love us everywhere, and we, ingrates, everywhere offend thee. Let it be so no more, but make us love and bless thee everywhere. In omni loco dominationis eus benedict anima mea domino. Bless the Lord all his works in every place of his dominion. O my soul, bless thou the Lord. In the fourth place, I could demonstrate to you further that as the love of the eternal Father for his eternal Son is love in its essence, since he loves him with his whole being, so also the love of the Son of God for us is love in its essence, since he is all heart and all love towards us and loves us with all his being. In other words, Everything in Jesus, his divinity, his humanity, his soul, his body, his blood, all his thoughts, words, actions, privations, humiliations, sufferings, in short, everything that he is, has, and all his potentiality is bound up in loving us. Here, I must mention one effect of his love that surpasses all others. Louis Bale, a doctor, of sacred theology, presents this fact in his learned and devotional work, Effective Theology, and states that he found it in four passages of St. Bridget's writings approved by three popes and two general councils. Our Divine Lord and His Holy Mother revealed to St. Bridget that, while on the cross, he suffered such keen, piercing, violent, and terrible pains that his adorable heart was rent, broken, and shattered. My heart, says the adorable Savior to the saint, was utterly filled with pain, all the more because it was of a most fine and delicate nature. The pain went from my heart into my nerves, from my nerves back to my heart. It kept on increasing so that my death agony was prolonged while I was thus immersed in suffering. I opened my eyes and saw my dearest mother overcome by a sea of anguish and tears, which pained me more than my own sufferings. I also saw my friends overwhelmed with sorrow. With this torture, my heart was actually rent by the force and fury of the pain. And then it was that my soul went forth from my body. Those are the words of our Savior to St. Bridget. In a later revelation, he said, There are few persons who can imagine with what pain I remain fastened to the wood of the cross, my heart being broken and shattered by its violence. Quando cor meum crepuit. Let us now listen to the Blessed Virgin who revealed on two occasions to the same saint that, as the death of her son drew near, his sacred heart was rent by the violence of the pain. Cum cor pre violentia dolorum romperator. I also find a similar reference in the tenth exercise of the Imitations of Divine Holiness of St. Gertrude, where she thus addresses our Redeemer. Thy divine heart was rent and broken in thy dying by the excess of thy love for me. This made thee suffer such violent tortures for love of me that thy adorable heart was broken by the force of the pain, so that I may say that thou didst die of pain and love for me. This can be repeated by each one of us with equal truth. O Almighty God, who hath ever heard of such a death? O sinful man, Wilt thou not open thy eyes to behold the love thy Savior has for thee? O heart of man, wilt thou not be touched by such burning love? Wilt thou not surrender, 
not be converted? Will thou not love one who hath such love for thee? Filii hominum usquoque gravi corde? O ye sons of men, how long will you be dull of heart? Why do you love vanity and seek after lying? How long will thy heart remain buried in the mud and slime of earth, in the midst and vanities of this world? Would thou not love him who is wholehearted in his love for thee, and who, if thou wouldst but love him, promises to give thee an eternal realm? That is all he demands of thee. For after saying, I love you as my father had loved me, he adds, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, as I also have kept my father's commandments, and do abide in his love. Then again he says to us, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be filled. Wouldst thou therefore give great joy to thy Savior, and so act that thy heart may be always joyful and glad, thus beginning thy paradise on earth? Then love thy precious Savior above all things, and thy neighbor as thyself. That is all that thou hast to do. O Jesus, I give thee my whole heart. O Mother of Jesus, to thee also I give it entire with all the hearts of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Offer them, I beg you, to thy Son, praying him to take full, entire, and eternal possession of them. O Creator, I owe thee my body and soul, because thou hast given me thy body and soul, thy life and thy very self. What do I owe thee, and what shall I give thee in return for all those priceless gifts? If I had millions of lives and gave them to thee a million times over, each hour, That would be as nothing. Since I am so indebted to thee that I cannot ever requite thee, come thyself as executor of my estate and take all that I have. I offer thee all the faculties of my soul, all the feelings of my body, all my members, my whole heart, sacrificing myself entirely to thy adorable will. I ask not for eyes except to contemplate what thou dost will me to contemplate nor for ears except to hear thy divine words and to obey thee. Let my tongue be torn from my mouth if I use it but to bless thee. Let my heart burst asunder rather than fail to love thee. May I lose my memory if it be not to remember thee. And may my mind fail in all things if it be not to know and to admire thee. May my hands be cut off if I use them not in thy service. I ask not for feet except to seek and follow thee. I will always exercise my will as thou wouldst have me. Thy good pleasure is my sole desire. Do with me without wilt, since for my sake thou hast done with my, thyself more than I would have dared to wish or to desire. I surrender myself entirely into the hands of God, my eternal Father, who does desire my welfare more than I do myself, who alone knows what is best for me and alone can obtain it for me.